0: Well, this morning the Hubtown Kids is learning about this, the fact that God is creator. Not only is God uh, our creator, but he is also our sustainer. Every breath that we take uh, is given to us by God, and uh, including the, the, the breath of this dear young lady, and so we commit her to, to God's hands this morning, trusting that he is a faithful God, he is a faithful creator, and uh, Yeah. I'm going to ask you a question, though. It's going to be a kind of a hard shift. but Have you ever been a part of a team or a group that ended up being successful in something when you didn't believe that that was actually possible? Maybe you were hoping to achieve something with your team and your group, and you thought we would never win. It was like the ultimate underdog story. You ever been in a situation like that? I, that was like my middle school and high school. I went to a, I went to a school that had several uh, sports programs, but we were terrible at everything. And I would never expect to win a, a game, not even one time. I would never expect to do that. But, and yet there were those days where somebody would try to take the game-winning shot every once in a while, and it would actually take place. And I have to admit, there would be like this shock in my life, like a shock in my heart, like, wow, I'm actually, I can't believe that that just took place. I can't believe that that just happened. Maybe I'm, it it wasn't ever at my hand that those types of things took place. But from time to time, I would be able to witness that and think, man, this is absolutely amazing. I think we have a similar situation this morning to the disciples as they're walking with Jesus. Here in Mark chapter 11. So if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn there. It should be on the screen for you this morning. Mark chapter 11. But if you, if you have your own copy, I invite you to turn there as well. Mark chapter 11. We're going to read verses 20 to 25. This is what the Word of God says. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree wither away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in Let's ask God to bless the reading of his word. Father, in your mercy, we pray now that you would quiet our hearts, that you would still our minds, and that you would let us hear from you. Would you let us see your thoughts? Would you let us be changed further into your likeness in some small way as we look at this passage this morning? We ask your blessing on this time together, and we ask it in the name of Jesus, amen. I want to go ahead and tell you the main, I think it's wildly applicable for us this morning, the main idea, if you're going to take something away, to have faith in God is to pray according to his will, and when we do so in confidence, mountains are moved. Think about that. To have faith in God is to pray according to His will, and when we do so in confidence, mountains are moved. Let's jump into the text and start to, to work our way through. It says, As they passed by in the morning, they saw a fig tree withered away to its roots. If you're keeping up with Mark's chronological flow here, you see that, you, you, you remember that Jesus has come to the city of Jerusalem for the, for the last week of His life. He's received as the Messiah. He's received as the righteous King. And there on the east side of the city, on the Mount of Olives, He mounts a donkey. And this is called the triumphal entry. He rides the donkey down into the city, up into the temple. And as He arrives, the day is late. He looks around and then He exits the city. And the next morning, as He and the disciples head back into Jerusalem, Jesus curses a fig tree because it was bearing no fruit. Then he makes his way into the temple where he cleanses it by by throwing out all the thieves and the folks that were acting in some irreverent manner. The following day, as Jesus and his disciples uh, pass along that same road, Peter notices that fig tree that Jesus cursed. It had withered. So from the perspective of the disciples, Jesus had asked God the Father to enact the judgment that Jesus wished, and the Father complied with his request. And in a sense, Jesus' prayer came true. While we can take this as proof of Jesus' divinity, this is no less a confirmation, listen, that Jesus was a righteous man. That Jesus was a righteous man. You see, the Bible is replete with confirmations of this principle, that the prayers of a righteous man will be heard. Even this morning as we, in our separate group groups, were praying around in this room here, we were asking God to do something. And know this, that the prayers of righteous men and women, they will be heard. Psalm 34 that we read this morning, our brother Dan, it helps to develop that motif, right? Psalm 34, verse 15, The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and He hears toward their cry, the, the face of the, of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. James, the brother of Jesus, he writes in James 5 about this same idea. I believe in some way this book is some sort of an exposition of Jesus' teaching here in Mark 11, but. He reminds us that Elijah, that great prophet of the Old Testament, that he prayed this prayer. And what does it say in James? The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And yet he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And when he prayed again, the heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. Church, God hears the prayers of a righteous man. He hears the prayers of a righteous woman. And the disciples here see that Jesus has bent the ear of God in a way. A way that they really can't say that they've experienced or maybe even attempted. So this is further confirmation for them that Jesus really is the righteous son of David that will sit on the throne forever. Why? Because he, when he prays, his prayers are heard by God the Father. Jesus is a righteous man. Hold on to that for just a moment. But keep working our way down. Verse 21 says, And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. It appears that Peter is a bit surprised. We're not sure if he was surprised in the sense that, hey, I'm shocked that that actually took place. I think it's more like he's awestruck. It's certainly remarkable. Imagine what uh, had happened here. Jesus curses a fig tree, and as he's done cursing the fig tree, within 24 hours, that tree dries up, withers up, never again, to produce fruit on this earth. And that is, in a sense, miraculous. Maybe he shouldn't be so surprised, but there's nothing wrong with being awestruck. Similar to fire. You know, for millennia, humans have been fascinated with fire. Even today, we still are, right? In our modern age, we, more, we know much more about fire, but it's still a fantastic phenomenon that when we light one, we enjoy, to, we enjoy just watching it and looking at it. And so they may not have been surprised by the withering, but no doubt they're impressed by it. And it's confirmation again that Jesus is the righteous king that has come. Who bends the ear of God the Father. What's interesting is that Colossians tells us that Jesus created all things by the word of his power. Furthermore, that he is holding all things together even now. He takes trees into this world and he takes them out. He gives life and he takes it. Jesus has the ear of God the Father. And as the Son of God, His will, the will of Jesus, is entirely in line with the will of God. And this miracle really establishes that as a fact for us this morning. Now Jesus really turns His, His, His attention to instruct the disciples. And what does He tell them? Verse 22, what does He say? Jesus answered them. He says, Have faith in God. Jesus, ever the teacher, in route to give his life as a ransom for many. That's why he's here. Don't forget that. He has come to the city of Jerusalem to lay his life down. It will not be taken from him. But even yet, knowing what will happen in just a few short days, he continues to teach his disciples until the end. And with so many other things to think about, you would imagine that he might be distracted or preoccupied in some other way, but he loves his disciples and he loves to teach them yet another truth that they will need while in his service when he's gone, and that is this, have faith in God. That's a message that we need to hear as well this morning. To have faith. Faith in God. But what does it mean to have faith in God? I really want to spend the bulk of our time wrestling with that idea. What does it mean for us to have faith in God? Is that just referencing a good feeling toward God, thinking happy thoughts, thinking positive ones? Is that what faith is? Really, just kind of fool's hope? Hebrews 11 gives us a clue talks about faith as believing that God is, that God exists. And not only does He exist, but He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. That's what it is like. That's what faith is. To to have faith is to believe the things about God that He says about Himself. Hebrews 11 verses 1-3 through says this about faith. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It is the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that that what is seen was not made from things that are visible. We could say it this way. Faith is simply trusting in God's Word. Simple trust in God. Jesus wants His disciples to have faith because it's powerful. Look at verse 23. Faith is powerful. What does he say in verse 23? Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Here they are standing on the Mount of Olives. They're opposite the Mount, the Temple Mount. They're somewhere around 2,500 feet above sea level on this mountain. They're Looking at the Dead Sea, which is about 500 feet below sea level. And it seems that Jesus is saying faith is so powerful that the one who possesses it can accomplish such tasks as moving a mountain that high into the depths of the sea that low. Imagine, that might seem like an incredible feat in this day and age to be able to move a mountain, and yet we're able to do that to some small degree, Right? We have some machinery, we have some techniques. We're able to, uh, to even blast through mountains if you've ever been and west of here. Uh, you go through sidling mountain or sideline hill, you, you're able to see the, the, the drill marks on the side of the, the mountain there. But here in the ancient world, if you could move mountains, what could you not do? If you could move a mountain in the first century, what could you not do? Great men like Herod were able to accomplish small feats like moving small portions of mountain, and, but it would take their great wealth. It would take their great resources. But Jesus is saying that greater works than leveling a mountain and moving it to the sea would be done with simple faith. Don't miss that. Faith is important. Faith is powerful. It's so powerful that you can move mountains with it. We Christians, we don't have faith that large mounds of dirt need to be moved, but more that God's kingdom will come and that His will be done. We have faith that our sin, heavier than soil and far filthier, can be moved and cast into the depths of the sea. We, We hope that the impossible would happen, that hearts of stone... Would be turned from stone into flesh, that dead, dry bones would come to life, spiritually speaking. Brothers and sisters, faith accesses these things. Faith is powerful. See, in the, the, the verses that follow, we can understand that the context of this command to have faith in God is best understood in, con- in the connection with prayer. And so let me offer my first point this morning. Pray in faith christian when you pray pray in faith verse 24 says therefore i i tell you whatever you ask in prayer believe that you've received it and it will be yours underlying this the 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 need for faith in our lives is this verse whatever you ask believe that you have received it and it's as if you already have it Believe that you already have it, and it will be yours. When you come to God, asking Him in prayer, believe that He hears and that He has answered already. And if you can do that, you will receive it. What a a promise that is. What an incredible promise that is. Brother, sister, let me ask you this. Do you doubt that? Let's be honest. This is a safe place. Do you doubt that when we ask in faith, when we believe, that we will receive? Do you doubt Jesus's promise? Maybe a a helpful question would be to ask this. We're If prayer were a book of signed checks that you received at the end of last Sunday service, how many of those checks would you have written this week? If prayer was a book of signed checks from God, how many did you attempt to cash this week? Brother, sister, there are mountains that need moving in this church. And He's promised to move them if we ask in faith. There are mountains that need to be moved in this city. And he's given us this offer. He said that whatever we ask in his name, for his glory, according to his will, he will give it to us. And he's told us what he wants. He's told us his will. And he's asked us to pray. What prayers need to be prayed? What mountains need to be moved in your life? on the life of those in your family, the lives of your loved ones. Church, may we pray bold prayers and may we do so in faith. It is so important. It's It's possible that you maybe don't pray like you should because you doubt like you shouldn't. When Jesus told His disciples to have faith in God, He actually said it, though, as an imperative. He's commanding them to have faith in God. Basically, that means it's not an option, right? But you say, but I'm, a, I'm afraid he won't hear me. I'm afraid if I pray this prayer, he wouldn't actually hear me. And so that's why I don't pray like I should. That's why I don't ask these bold prayers in faith. I'm afraid he won't answer me. I know he'll hear me, but I don't know that he'll answer me. And yet this text flies in the face of that and he commands his followers to have faith in him. Maybe deep down, you've never verbalized this, but you're saying this in your heart. I don't believe he can meet this need. How many times in my life have I felt that? God, you can do amazing things. God, you've done amazing things in my life. I've seen it, but this one thing is too hard for you. You can't change this part of my life. You, you couldn't heal me from that. You couldn't shut this door and open this one. There's no way that you could. And so I'm not going to pray it. Church, there's no deceit in the mouth of God and there is no lack in His bank account. We have not because we ask not. His resources are not weak, though our faith may be. One of the clearest illustrations of this principle is, is the prayer to God for forgiveness? When we ask God for forgiveness, do we have the faith to truly believe that that mountain of our sin can truly be erased, that it can truly be atoned for by the cross of Christ? I was reminded of a story by that uh, which is told by R.C. Sproul, and he says this: Many years ago, a woman came to me for counsel because of her unrelieved feelings of guilt over a sin that she had committed in the past. I advised her that she needed forgiveness from God, and the only possible way for her to receive it was for her to repent. When I told her that, she became irritated. She said, I thought you were a theologian. She was looking for a technical, sophisticated answer to her moral dilemma, something that she could not expect to find from people in her prayer group. And she said, I have asked God 50 times to forgive me for this sin, and I'm still overwhelmed by my guilt. And so I told her she needed to pray one more time and repent of her sin. At that point, she became very irritated and said, I have told you that I've asked God to forgive me many times. I have repented. Why do I still feel guilty? And so I said to her, R.C. Sproul Yes, you need to pray for forgiveness one more time, but this time you need to pray that God will forgive you for another sin, the sin of arrogance. Of course, she didn't understand the point that I was making and became even more irate, so I asked her to read 1 John 1.9, which says this, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Then I explained to her that she had confessed her sin, but she did not feel forgiven because she did not believe God's promises of forgiveness. She could not accept that forgiveness is so easy. She thought she needed to do more, and that was simply arrogance. She needed to pray in faith, believing that God would forgive her just as he promised he would. What a wonderful story here. What a vivid reminder for us that God has made promises to us and when we pray in faith we access them. According to Jesus' instructions here though, what should your faith be anchored in? We make much of faith but whom should our faith, what should our faith be anchored in? The answer to that simply is this, in God. And so the second point that I want to bring out to you this morning is that not just that we should pray in faith, but we should pray to God. Have faith in God. Maybe a good question to ask is, which God should we pray to? Well, of course, you know as a Baptist pastor believing the Word of God, only one true God. You know, the answer that I'm going to say is the God of the Bible. The God as revealed in this holy book. And still, yet, you'd say, that's a silly question. I can assure you that it's not. The God that you pray to, what is he like? How do you know anything about the God to whom you pray? How do you know anything about the God to which you ascribe your faith? This may be an offensive question, but I have to ask Do you pray to a God of your own making? It's been said before that God created man in His own image and then man quickly repaid the favor. Is it possible that you are praying to a God of your making? Perhaps that's the answer to the conundrum that so many of us have struggled with found in Matthew chapter 7. It scares us. And well, it should. Jesus says this, Not everyone who says to Me, Lord, Lord will enter into the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day, the day of judgment, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The God to which you pray, does His nature and character line up with Scripture? Do the things that you talk about with God, do that? does that line up with Scripture? Are your prayers guided by your own lust for pleasure, your own lust for glory? If so, you can be sure that these prayers will not be answered because they are not heard by God. He will not give his glory to another. Prayer is not given to us so that we can have our own personal kingdom come here on earth, but it is a prayer. A prayer is given to us so that we can see God's kingdom come in our lives. And this is where so many of us go astray. But in that way, he has given us the key to unlocking the kingdom of God here on earth through prayer. And so pray that his will be done and not yours. Even Jesus modeled that for us this morning. He said this, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. He'll pray this not long from the time that we've read this morning in Mark chapter 11. But he says this at the end of that prayer, Nevertheless, your will, Father, your will be done. There have been so many over the years who, after reading a passage like this when they walk away with their faith weakened. And I would really argue that it's because they misunderstand what Jesus is saying here. What what happens is that they hear this truth and they rip it out of context and they pray for something that's totally out of the will of God, even contrary to the nature of God, and they expect yet God to respond quickly and fervently, favorably to their request. So it's almost like trying to, to walk into Burger King and asking for a slice of pizza or a, a hummus plate, right? You say, well, wait, wait a minute. The sign says, have it your way. Yeah, that's true. But it's in the name. This is Burger King, Right? You say, but my faith is so great. He, he said, if my faith was strong enough, if I didn't doubt, I could move mountains. And that's what I aim to do. I want to move mountains. Brothers, sisters, your faith is so important. But, but don't miss this. Your faith will never be so strong that it can overpower the very nature and will of God. You must have Faith, But it must be in the living God, the one who has revealed himself in the pages of Holy Scripture. Jesus offers us an example, practical example here, of praying in faith to God, in accordance with his will, in line with his nature. In verse 25. He says, And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. If you have anything against anyone, forgive them. Why? So that your Father who also is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Here's the picture. Here's the idea. In first century uh, Judaism, you've got... A Jew praying to God. We see pictures of it throughout the New Testament. But a man standing with his face pointed towards heaven. And he's saying, God, I'm so glad that you've made me this way and not like that one over there. Instead of addressing his own personal sins, he's praying straight to God. Addressing somebody else's weakness and somebody else's sin. Verse 25 is speaking that he's like, hey, if if you're going to be up there. Asking God to bless, asking, praying to God, asking these requests. He's like, and you haven't actually forgiven others? Do you really feel like God's going to forgive you? Do you really believe that God's going to hear that prayer? Similar to the man who was forgiven such a great debt. And as soon as he was forgiven that debt, he went and found the guy who had owed him just a little bit. And he shook him. And he said, pay me what you owe me. And he threw him into prison. What, what happens to that man? The king finds out about it. This man who was forgiven so much, but wouldn't forgive a little, reinstated this man's debt. This is the same principle here. How, how in the world could we stand before God and pretend to have faith in His Word, and yet at the same time ask for something that's contrary to His? Ignoring His instructions for us. Praying to God while harboring sin, while harboring bitterness in your heart, it demonstrates an extreme ignorance of the nature of God or even a rebellion against Him. To do so demonstrates that you do not know the one true God as revealed in Scripture, the one who says that we should come to Him humbly. Psalm chapter 66, verse 18 says this, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, Lord would not have listened. Again, this is a biblical motif that God does not hear the prayers of those who are sinning against Him. He doesn't hear the prayers of, er- of the of the arrogant man. And so, don't forget who you're talking to. When we approach God, approach Him humbly. To pray in faith is to humbly come to God and ask for things according to His nature, according to His will. One of the best ways that I think uh, I can think of applying this information to our lives is to invite you to pray the Bible to invite you to pray the Bible. There's a book uh, that we have as a church there on this table over here that bears that name, Praying the Bible. It's written by Donald Whitney. Uh, We have actually, I think, one copy left over there at that table. If you're interested in learning how to pray in faith, I would invite you to get that book and to read it. I can't recommend it enough. And by the way, if you are wondering about that resource table, we've got several books there. Those are books that the, the, the pastors have looked through and have read and identified. Hey, these are helpful books for the church members to be reading. And so if you want to grab one of those, you can give a donation in the, in the wooden box here. You can even give a donation online. Um, but grab one of those. Some of the prices are, are marked. Some of them aren't. But you just give a donation and, uh, and take that book. By the way, like I said, there's one left. Praying the Bible. How do we know that we're praying God's will according to God's will? How do we know that, God's will, that, God, that God will hear our prayers and he will answer them? Well, when we pray according to his word, and what better way than to literally pray the Bible? Well, on this point, a practical point of application for you this morning is this. The membership covenant that we have as a church is a distillation of the instructions that God has given to each individual Christian. So There's no special things inside of our church covenant. It's just, hey, that's what the Bible says that Christians should be doing for one another. And so we have, we've codified it there in our covenant and we commit to it on a regular basis. We believe that God wants those things to, that we are working towards and praying for to, be of, to come to fruition in the life of every single Christian. What better thing to pray with than to use the church covenant as you pray for members of our church? Use that covenant. What better way? Here's some of the things that you could be praying for. We believe that God has said that we should have unity. And so we pray and we work for the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, according to Psalm 133, according to Ephesians 4, and according to Philippians chapter 2. We are endeavoring to bring up a such as may at any time be under our care in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and by a pure and loving example, seek their salvation of the family and friends that we have. This is according to Matthew chapter 28. This is according to Ephesians chapter 6 and Colossians chapter 1. What better way to pray in faith than to pray the very things that God says He wants for His church. To work for that and to pray according to that. To pray for each other. That we would live carefully in this world. That we would deny ungodliness and worldly lust. And that we would remember that we have been voluntarily buried in baptism and raised again from the symbolic grave. And as we are raised, there is a special obligation on each of us now to lead a new and holy life. Matthew chapter 28, Romans 6, Philippians 2, 1 Thessalonians 5, Titus 2, and 1 Peter 1. And I give you all of those references because I want you to see that the thing that we long for, the thing that we should be praying towards is God's will, God's Word. I want to add one more point this morning as we draw to a close. We are to pray in faith without doubting. Faith is powerful. We're to pray to God according to His self-revelation. He's spoken about Himself. He's told us His will for our lives, for our church, But let me ask, let me add this last one. That we are to pray in Jesus' name. We are to pray in Jesus' name. Now I'm jumping to another text. I'm getting that from John chapter 14 where Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Toward the beginning of our time this morning, I asked you to remember this point that God hears the prayers of a righteous man. That God hears the prayers of a righteous man. As a Christian, this is so good, this is so helpful. When you pray in Jesus' name, You are praying with His righteousness. Does that mean that every whim, every desire that that we have can be attained by simply asking? Has has God become some sort of a genie in a bottle that when we claim the name of Jesus, that, that bottle that opens up and gives us unlimited wishes? No, it doesn't. Sadly, there's a movement that has roots in pagan hedonism that elevates the sinful desires and hearts of of, of man and goes against the holy edicts of God. It's so dangerous. Name it and claim it. Word of faith. Prosperity gospel tied up in all of that. It's revealing the idolatrous heart. When we ask... In Jesus' name, according to the very will and nature of God, and when we do so in faith, we receive. We receive. Whenever we ask in faith, according to God's nature and will, and in the name of Jesus, He will give us. It's interesting that Jesus uses as an example moving this mountain. How many mountains are in your life right now? How many spiritual mountains? How many great needs are in your life right now? I'm sure there's a few. Here's what I know the Mount of Olives and the Temple Mount, guess what? They're still there, they still exist. They've not been cast into the sea. For 2,000 years, Jesus' disciples studying in the very instructions that Jesus give, gave. None of them have moved those mountains. And yet at the same time, how many of us could testify that when we've prayed in faith, according to God's will, in the name of Jesus, that He has heard us and He has moved spiritual mountains for us. Each and every one of us that are in Christ, can say that. Because the first and foremost, the first prayer that we pray is a prayer of forgiveness. It's a prayer of repentance, asking God to change us, asking God to forgive us. And When we do, He is faithful and just to do just that. So let me ask you about those mountains. What's the most pressing thing in your life? Spiritually speaking, Perhaps it's freedom from sin that so easily besets the Christian sitting across the room from you or sitting in the seat next to you. Maybe it's the besetting sin in your own life. Maybe it's the young believers in our congregation who need to be discipled. It's a mountain that needs to be moved. Maybe it's the more mature of our group that need to take action. Maybe it's the knowledgeable in our body that need to learn humility and tact. For God's blessing on our missionaries, maybe that's what we need today. And how about the salvation of your lost parents or your lost children or the salvation of the the lost neighbor that you have? Church, when we pray in faith to God in Jesus' name, mountains will be moved. I don't know how you're receiving this today, but maybe you're thinking, okay, maybe you're like me when I was a little bit younger. This sounds like a bit of a rip-off. Jesus starts out by saying, whatever we ask, he's going to give it to us. And then as we really dig down and deep on this issue of prayer and we start to look at the greater context, we understand that that's actually not what he's doing. He's not saying that we can just get whatever we want. And we can't just walk out into the ocean and say, with faith, over these powerful and aggressive waves, stop. We can't just go to a mountain and say, be moved at our own whim and desire and maybe that's frustrating and confusing for you as you try to stop those waves and they just roll over your head well in one sense prayer is less like changing the direction of a wave as you wade out into the water but it's more like surfing on one do you you catch what i'm saying there I, i don't know much about surfing but i know this i don't think there's many surfers in this room so i could maybe get away with this the surfer doesn't fight against the wave. The surfer works with the wave. He paddles out in the water. He senses the rising force. He points his board toward the shore. And as the momentum increases, he's picked up slowly on that wave. He rises from the saddled position there to his feet. And what follows looks less like fighting and more like poetry. Gliding across the water and powered by its force. Let me ask you this question. Are you fighting against God's will in prayer? Are you fighting against God's will in prayer? Great faith, but not anchored in God, not in Jesus' name, against God's will for you. I want to take a moment and try to tie up the meaning of these last few events in a clear manner. Jesus, in fulfillment of prophecy, he sets his face towards Jerusalem where he knows that he'll lay his life down. He'll die. He approaches Jerusalem. He's received as their king just as was foretold. He, God in the flesh, comes into his holy temple. He observes the wickedness of the priest, the weakness of the sacrifice, and the preclusion of the Gentiles. With laser focus, he cleanses the temple and draws attention to its inability to produce fruit in such a manner as He, God Almighty, demands, requires. He illustrates that with the cursing of the fig tree. The beautiful thing is that the righteous king who came to die was the final spotless lamb whose blood would be shed for the sins of many. And all those who would repent and believe in Him would be joined with Him, to Him, so that when the Father looks at Jesus, He sees the church. And when the Father looks at us in our sin, He sees Christ's righteousness. All those who repent and believe joined with Christ. He doesn't see the sin that plagues us. He sees the blood that covers us. And frankly, when you look at the the cursing of the fig tree and the inability of Israel in the temple to bear fruit for God, know this, that you are no better than they. Our righteousness is no better. But thank God, we who are in Christ have been cleansed of our sins, and now we have the very righteousness of God to wear His clothing. When the Father sees the leaves of our lives, he also sees the righteousness of God, the righteousness of Jesus blooming on our bowels as though it were our own. And so now when we pray in Jesus' name, we have Christ's righteousness coupled with Christ's faith. And we have an assurance that our prayers will be heard not because of our righteousness, but because of his Furthermore, every prayer we pray in faith, we can have assurance that the Father hears because of Christ. And so, Hagerstown Church, let's heed the words of our Lord. Have faith in God. Pray in Jesus' name. To have faith in God is to pray according to His will. And when we do so in confidence, mountains are moved. Let's pray. Father, we thank You this morning that when You look at us, You see the righteousness of Christ. Though our limbs are barren, we've tried in our ways to produce righteousness, to produce fruit, we've been unable to. And we, like Israel, Stand to be condemned. And yet at the same time, you sent Christ. The righteous man. The one who fulfills your laws. The one that is able to bend your ear. And not only does He pray for us, but He's given us His righteousness so that when we pray, we, too, bend your ear. God, would you give us the confidence? Would you give us the boldness and the faith to truly believe that? And, Father, may our faith be coupled with your word. Would we pray bold prayers here in this city, in our lives, for sanctification, for evangelism? Father, for your glory to cover this earth like the waters cover the earth. God, this is our prayer. We ask it in faith.